Hey everyone, welcome back to the Type 1 Tribe podcast. This is your host, Samantha Farley. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in February of 2021, and I created this podcast to share all of the information that I am learning through the process with you. Today, our guest is Stephanie Weaver, who was diagnosed in 2021 as well and shortly became a mother after being diagnosed. Stephanie shares her story and advice for pregnancy with type 1 diabetes. Here we go. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for being here. Hi, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So tell us a little bit about you. Where do you live? Where are you from? Yes. So I currently live in the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia, about 30 minutes from Northern Virginia and 30 minutes from Maryland. However, I'm originally from Northern Virginia, um, around Fauquier County, which let's just say is about an hour or so, an hour and 15 from DC. Most people have never heard of Fauquier County before. (laughs) That's awesome. So it's still pretty far from Ohio. Yes. I would say probably an eight hour drive. We have family in Columbus. So I know we are eight hours from Columbus. That's where I'm from, Columbus. <laughs> really? Oh my gosh, what a small world. What part of Columbus do they live in? I have, I honestly don't know that many details. I just know they live in Columbus and the drive is eight hours. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> I don't live there anymore, so. <laughs> You're in Denver, correct? Yes, I am based in Denver, yes. Oh, I love that. How do you like living there? It's amazing. It's it's so much different than Ohio in a lot of good ways. <laughs> it's, I mean, for one, just the, the sunshine here is amazing. Like it really is sunny all the time, except for lately, but yeah, it's been, it's been awesome and no humidity, which is also huge. That's a big win. I, my father lives in Phoenix. And if there's just one thing I love about the desert, it's no humidity because here, whew, I mean, you get a 60%, 80% day and I'm melting. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Except who it's really it's too hot in Arizona. Yes. That's another yes. level of heat. <laughs> so when were you diagnosed with diabetes? So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in May of 2021. So I just recently, as of last month, hit my two-year anniversary. Oh my gosh, you're a newbie like me. I was February 2021. So you wow. were months after me. Right. Oh my gosh. Well then we're right there pretty much next to each other. This is, it's been a journey in two years. I'm sure for you it has too, but it's like, sometimes I can't even believe it's been two years. I know. Did you have a, were you sick before? Did you have a virus before being diagnosed? So there's of course speculation of that. Um, However, you know, I was diagnosed in May and as you know, I think, I think that I may have experienced COVID. I have no, like, I I have no way of proving that. However, for my symptoms in retrospect, I think that maybe I did prior to my diagnosis. Um, However, I actually was diagnosed at primary care. I did not go into DKA. Well, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, that (laughs) is. to go into DKA. So you, you, Okay. You don't know if you had COVID because that's what happened to me. I had COVID three months right before, and then I was diagnosed. Wow. Yeah. I, I've heard, you know, other folks speculating the connection between the two. And at the time I didn't really give it much thought, you know, but 
thinking back, I'm like, this is very coincidental. You know, the symptoms I was having, um, and again, I have no way of proving that I did. Um, however, I just, it was very ironic. That is very ironic. Does it run in your family at all? No, I am the first generation with type one. I will say that I was diagnosed at 14 with Hashimoto's, mm -hmm. uh, which is hypothyroidism, the autoimmune disease. So I know now that there's a connection between Hashimoto's and type one diabetes. However, no family history of either. Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, so I have hypothyroidism too, but I don't have Hashimoto's. So like, what's the difference between the two? Okay. So the difference is actually really simple antibodies. I was actually tested to see if there were antibodies for autoimmune as it relates to my thyroid and they were present. Um, again, that was, I believe, yeah, I was 14. And I remember at the time, some of my symptoms were a goiter in my neck, very enlarged thyroid. Um, and then I was very fatigued all the time. I could just sleep and sleep. Um, and I believe I actually remember that I was in gym class and I was accused by the nurse of wanting to get out of like my middle school, like gym class. And I'm like, no, I'm actually struggling keeping up, you know? And, uh, uh, so luckily my parents acted on that and uh, we discovered my Hashis and then I was put on a Synthroid regimen back at 14. Um, and it was interesting though, right when I was going into adulthood, my thyroid kind of leveled out. And I mean, I was right above the threshold, so I didn't have to take medication. And then later down the road, type one came and then I got pregnant and my pregnancy actually exhausted my thyroid completely. I think down to 17%, which was significant. So now I will be on Synthroid for the rest of my life. Wow. This is so interesting. You just said that because I have, I take Synthroid as well, but I, this is bad to admit, but I forget to take it all the time and I never notice a difference like ever. And I'm like, do I even need this? Like, I don't know if I do sometimes. So I'm wondering if it's similar to your story, but that's crazy. That pregnancy changed it too. Oh yeah. It, and I, okay. I knew this was a possibility right before I got pregnant. My endo told me this, you know, there's a chance that you can, your, your thyroid's going to bounce back and you're not going to need meds, but there's also a chance that this is going to happen. Um, and so I, you know, mentally was preparing myself for that, but nonetheless, when, you know, you get any form of life-changing diagnosis or just a change in your, your regimen, it's, you know, it's, not great, <laughs> but not here nor there. I mean, I guess things could be worse, you know, and I'm thankful that a pill a day is what helps me manage my thyroid issues because, um, type one is a whole different ball game. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, I talked to my doctor about that, about the connection between the two. And she said, there's, she said, there's no known connection of getting hypothyroidism first and then type one, it's usually the opposite. So usually you get type one first and then like hypothyroidism will come. So I'm like, there's got it. But now you're the other, you're another person who had the same story. So I'm like, it has to be both ways. Right. And I'll be honest, I'm not, you know, an expert in this field. So I don't know the specifics. I do know, however, um, that the ADA actually in January, which was Thyroid Awareness Month, um, the American Diabetes Association, where I used to work, they actually posted about how 
because there is such a strong connection that they encourage anyone with type 1 diabetes to have their thyroid tested at least once a year. So, you know, I can I can echo that through and through because like I said, I I think that the two are connected. Um, I also have, again, no family history of either. So it's just, it's really interesting to me how, you know, I, I, I lived what with a working pancreas up to almost 25 or 26 years and then it checked out. <laughs> so you never know. You just stay on top of it for sure. And I encourage folks to definitely get their thyroid checked regularly. Yeah. And so when you, were you pregnant before being diagnosed or after? After. Okay. So how was that process? <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting too, because I actually went to the primary care uh, to test my thyroid and make sure that if there were any changes prior to my husband and I trying to conceive that I at least had like six months of, you know, changing that regimen um, or dosage of Synthroid if, if we needed to. And at that appointment, you know, we're just having a checkup basically on my thyroid. That's when I was diagnosed with type one. And it all came as a huge shock to me. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't aware of the signs of type one diabetes. I just thought I was really thirsty and I was killing my bride to be diet. And I just, you know, I, I was very, very ignorant to be honest, you know, to, to what the signs were of type one. And I just remember at that appointment, I said, I'm having these crazy nightmares. Like they are vivid. There's something out of a horror movie. I I'm terrified. And I actually was misdiagnosed with an anxiety disorder, which we later found out after my labs were drawn that same appointment, we found out like what, 48 hours later or so that I did not have an anxiety disorder. It's actually because my blood sugars were at four and 500 all night. So, um, it was, it was a very interesting first year because I was diagnosed in May we got married in August and we knew we wanted to start a family rather immediately. And I conceived in October. So when I was diagnosed, my A1C was 15.5 in May of 2021. And in October, it was down to 6.3 when I got the green light from my endo to, to have a baby. So it was, was quite, quite, a, what was that? Six months, eight months, something in there. It was, it was crazy. Wow. Well, good for you for like managing it that well, that quickly. Did- I was gonna say, how was your doctor? Were they like super supportive educational wise? So this is an interesting question because I feel like yes and no. For example, when I got pregnant, a lot of the information that I was provided by my endocrinologist was more or less related to gestational and gestational diabetes is very different than type one, right? So I felt like there could have been more, you know, there, there could have been more resources. There could have been more education, um, things of that nature to support me as I was navigating, right. I'm, I'm a newly diagnosed diabetic. I'm still trying to figure out the ropes. Right. And then now you throw in a growing baby and, you know, in the second trimester, you've got the insulin resistance coming on. And by the third trimester, I mean, the insulin resistance is through the roof and it's just, I was learning so much already. And then the pregnancy really complicated that. Um, but it, it was manageable. I will say though, it takes a lot of self-advocacy and, you know, wanting to learn and wanting to research and do all that on your own, because there were some holes and resources for sure. I can't imagine. I, it's hard enough as it is doing it, just figuring out the disease and then throwing a pregnancy in the mix. Oh my gosh. So which trimester would you say was like the hardest for you? 
the third hands down, <laughs> because not only is insulin resistance crazy, let me put into perspective for you prior to being pregnant, my basal insulin. So my long lasting insulin was 17 units of Traceba a day. When I leveled out at the end of my third trimester, I was taking 47 units of Traceba a day. I was flying through pens. It was crazy. And that was sometimes changing daily or weekly. So it's like, oh, 38 units worked yesterday. Oh, but today I need 40. Like it was, it was wild. Um, the first trimester, of course, you know, you're dealing with like being super fatigued and super nauseous and that was never great, but diabetes wise, the third trimester, I mean, I don't even know, like <laughs> those last few weeks, I, I think are just blur. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. And I've heard that before about the, the changes, but it's like, I don't know. I can't picture it because I haven't experienced it yet, but I'm like, I can't imagine having to change that much. Like, were you scared? Like, I feel like I would have been nervous to give that much because you're oh, not yes. used to it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And connectively too, the insulin to carb ratio changes significantly, mm -hmm. significantly. And I want to say I started at one to 15 and I ended at one to four. Like it's just, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. And every day was a puzzle really. But I do want to say as well that it, it is manageable. And like the moment that you deliver your baby and they're laid on your chest, it's like every trial and triumph along the way with type one is so worth it because I've mentioned this on my podcast too, but there is just no motivation, like unlike feeling life in, in, in your belly. Like, I just, I, I can't even explain it. You know, some days I'm like, oh yeah, I'll bolus after I eat or, you know, I'll correct later. And it's like, when you know that that baby is developing off of your system, it's like, that's all that matters. So you do, it is manageable and you do find this like new motivation within yourself to, to do better and make better choices. And it's not instinctive, but it really does come naturally when, when you find out you're pregnant. Did you still eat pretty much anything you wanted or did you try like try to follow a lower carb diet? So interesting enough in the resources that I was provided by my endo, they, you don't want to have like three meals a day. They want you to eat more like four to six kind of, I don't know. I call them snacks, but like they're smaller portions, but it's really to keep your blood sugar more level. But at every single time you eat throughout the day, those four to six times, they want you to have carbs in there because carbs are essential for the fetus to develop. So no, I did not eat low carb. Um, in fact, you know, I would crave cinnamon rolls, which were so crazy on my blood sugar. So I did try to lean away from those, but I would still treat myself, you know, with the pregnancy cravings and stuff. That's amazing. That's good to know. I like to hear that. <laughs> yes. I was like, nine months is going to be a long time. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine having to do low carb for that long anyway. <laughs> so were you, and are you on a pump right now? I am. Yes. So for the first year and 10 months uh, of having type one diabetes, I use strictly MDI, multiple daily injections. Um, however, after I had my son in June of 2022 through March of this year, 2023, I found myself, I don't want to say neglecting my management, but it just got harder, right? Because I have a baby on my hip, but I'm trying to do injections, you know, but then also I'll bolus for 
a snack or a meal and then something comes up and, you know, baby needs me and I can't eat. And it was just like, it was difficult. So I reached out to my endo and I said, I really want to try a pump. And I actually decided to choose Omnipod 5 because it was tubeless. Like that was the holy grail for me and my option because of having a baby who is now almost a toddler um, in less than a month. I can't believe it. So the tubeless option was great for me and I love the Omnipod and and Dexcom duo. It's been life-changing. That's that's awesome. I love it. So on the pregnancy though, you were on MDI. Yes. Uh-huh. Correct. The entire time. Was that challenging at all for you? So yes and no. Yes. In the fact that, okay, it made it really difficult to exercise, right? Because with MDI, like if you're going to exercise, you need to reduce in the morning. And so that aspect of it was super challenging. Um, however, I did like that, you know, I had control over it and it wasn't like, for example, sometimes like my Omnipod will just crap out like in the middle of the night and I will have to get up and change it right for whatever reason it ends or it runs out of insulin blah 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 and I felt like with MDI it was more controllable in the sense that I wasn't relying on technology as much so I could manipulate you know like everything and and there's a learning curve with a pump too and I did you know mention to my endo when I first got pregnant probably within the first three months or so maybe for six months, I said to him, you know, I really think like a pump may help me. And he said, that is definitely something we can consider, but after you deliver, because the learning curve with it is so significant that now is not the time for, you know, us to experiment. So I do think though, that when baby two comes down the road, not right now, um, I would definitely like to experience pregnancy with a pump for sure. That's good to know. (laughs) Any advice that you'd give to somebody wanting to start a family that lives with tech one? (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Um, First and foremost, I definitely think giving yourself a strong starting point is very helpful. Um, You know, I worked very closely with my endo to make sure that my A1C was in the green light range, right? Uh, For us us to conceive because there's just so many more things that come, you know, with pregnancy when you're high risk. Um, so just knowing that I had a good starting point was very helpful. The next thing I would say is do your own research and be your own self-advocate because for example, when I was pregnant, like most other type one diabetic moms, we have to see maternal fetal medicine and the specific doctor that I was seeing at the MFM office was not very familiar with Traceba. And she did not want me to take Traceba. She wanted me to go for a more conventional insulin that's been around for a long time. And I said, but Traceba is fine for me. It's keeping my numbers right where, you know, we want them. And she said, there's not enough research on it. Like, we don't know what that's going to do to the size of the baby. We don't know this. We don't know that. But my endo said, no, I've had many patients, you know, take Traceba while they're pregnant. I approve. And so I ran like, in a roadblock here because it was like one provider is telling me one thing and the next provider is telling me another thing. And I just had to do my own research and MFM did not like it when I put my foot down, but Traceva was absolutely great, you know, for me during my pregnancy and thereafter until I got a pump. So I, I think that being a self-advocate and researching and knowing what you want um, and, and what you want for not only yourself, but your baby is important. So definitely those two things for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I mean, similar to like the pump, I don't know why they'd want to switch an insulin that you're used to. Like that even seems crazy a little bit. 
It was. And it was because I think, you know, what she was used to, it's, you know, was, was what she was comfortable with, but it's not a one size fits all with type one diabetes and everybody is different. Everybody's bodies are different. They react different to, you know, different insulins, for example, or different diets. And I just, I was like, what's working for me is working for me. Why would we change a system that's not broken? You know? So it just, again, I, I created some I rocked the boat a little bit with that one, <laughs> but, um, you know what, my baby, he, he, he was born, let's see, I was induced at 38 weeks, but he was born without any complications of my type one diabetes. He could regulate his own blood sugars. He was a healthy birth weight. I mean, it was, it was just exactly what I, I would have wanted. And I'm just so glad that I did not, I did not give in to the system that doesn't know me right in my specific needs. So did your blood sugars change at all after pregnancy? With postpartum? Significantly. In fact, my endocrinologist told me you're likely to experience something called postpartum phenomenon. And I'm like, what is this? Is my pancreas coming back <laughs> forever? <laughs> and no, not exactly. But he did say for, you know, up to two weeks after you deliver, um, it almost is as if your pancreas is working. And it was so interesting to me. Like after I delivered my son, I vividly remember I didn't have to bolus for food. Uh, yeah. For like at least a few days, I don't know, maybe like five or so. And then it slowly crept back. Right. And then it dropped a little bit. I want to say like 11 weeks postpartum, like I needed less insulin. And then it started creeping back up to to, you know, normal needs pre-pregnancy, but nonetheless, it was quite an experience. It was amazing. I was like, wow, I miss my pancreas so much. <laughs> it's like a little teaser that right. never come to fruition. Are you nervous at all about your son getting type one diabetes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think about it a lot. In fact, if I'm being transparent, I may think about it too much, right? Like from day to day, I'm like, oh my gosh, are you having like, you know, the normal amount of wet diapers? Are you drinking more water today? He's gaining weight, right? And just about every checkup I mentioned, are we going to check his A1C? And the doctor says, you know, not right now, I guess something or another about how babies, the first like three to six months of life, I believe they make their own blood. So their A1C is actually not accurate. Um, so she said we were going to wait to, you know, check that, but oh yeah, I am constantly, <laughs> I'm constantly, you know, having my eyes peeled, looking for the signs and just trying to be aware. Well, the good news is according to statistics, you're technically like it's on the lower end because you're a female and you were diagnosed as an adult. Yes. So that's <laughs> yeah. good. <laughs> that's good. Right. I, I recently actually posted this um, on my Instagram at the diabetes diary, but I did research with the American Diabetes Association around the connection between genetics and type one diabetes. And believe it or not, those who are in my case, who had a baby over the age of 20 um, and have like no family history of it, whatnot, it's a one in 100 chance. So I will take that. I will take that. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I do. Yeah. I am worried about him getting it, but I also see it as how amazing that I could show him the ropes if he does mm -hmm. have type one someday, because I mean, I live with it and you know, I, I know it in and out and I feel like I could be a, a good role model for him. So we'll, yeah. we'll take it as it comes. <laughs> the best caregiver for sure. Out of sure. like where we had to figure it out ourselves, you'd at least be there for him. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. So what do you think the future of diabetes looks like? 
This is a great question. Um, I think that, I mean, let's say first, we can only hope for a cure, right? In our lifetime, that would be amazing. Um, I do think though that technology is going to continue to just take over diabetes care. Um, and I think that's amazing. I do. I also, you know, would love to see more expansion and access to this great technology because there are a lot of people who cannot afford CGMs. And someone asked me the other day, if you could live without a CGM or a pump, which one would you pick? And I said, oh, I would live without a pump. Like no questions asked. I have had a CGM since I was diagnosed. Originally I was on the Freestyle Libre and then now I have Dexcom. And it has been so vital in my management that I can't imagine not having it, you know, and I would just love to see with the future of diabetes that more people who live with this disease have access to these life-changing technologies because they really are significant in our management. Yeah. Thank, thank God for CGMs. I completely agree. So how do people get in touch with you? So I would say first and foremost, Instagram would probably be the best way. Uh, that's at the.diabetesdiary. Um, I also have an email address um, linked to me in my um, link tree. And then also I have a podcast as well, which I know we can't necessarily connect through there, but that's also called the Diabetes Diary available where you can find most podcasts. So I'm definitely available, you know, and if people have any questions or want additional support, for example, you know, when you're going through pregnancy, it's kind of nice to connect with other people who've gone through pregnancy with type one diabetes. And that was something that I really wanted when I was going through my journey. So I'm happy to be that resource for others. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode with Stephanie. Do you want a free gift on your type 1 diabetes diversary? At type1tribe.com, we give a free gift on your type 1 diabetes diversary. All you have to do is head over to type1tribe.com and enter your information in the diversary pop-up. It will ask for your name, your email, and of course, your diversary date. On your diversary, you will receive an email from Type 1 Tribe with the discount that we give for your diversary. Go ahead and head over to type1tribe.com and make sure to enter your information in the pop-up. See you next week.